Idaho, welcome to the Arrogant Healthcare Marketing Bastards podcast for the week of February 3, 2014. This is episode 220, and I am Chris Bevelo, president of Interval, we're the healthcare marketing firm that puts on this podcast. With me today are Jackie Olson, account manager with Interval, and Adam Meyer, creative director at Interval. It's been a while since we read this, but if you're just joining us, you should know that the Arrogant Healthcare Marketing Ambassadors podcast is a forum for riffing and ranting on hot or important healthcare marketing topics, trends, and ideas with a whole lot of other noise thrown in. A lot of noise. Do we need to rework that? Yeah, we should probably rework that. Jeez, you could like put that, you could like spread that on a cracker and eat it. It's so (laughs) easy. It is really cheesy. It is. Uh, we don't really have any updates. I'm going to skip updates for now. We've got some good marketing stuff to talk about, healthcare marketing stuff, which is good because we need to get a healthy dose of pure healthcare marketing discussion now because we know it comes next week. Oh, next? And Super Bowl. we know it comes next week. Super, Super Bowl? Bowl? Yeah. Uh, yeah, we have our, our annual Super Bowl, which I think what we should do, Jackie, is – we should go on to LinkedIn to our group and proactively before the Super Bowl encourage people to post their favorite ads that they would like discussed to the LinkedIn group so we can cover it next week in our podcast. Yeah, that'd be fun. And we could tweet that out and put it on Facebook and all sort all manner of social media spreadage. Mm-hmm. There has been a rash of articles on the uh, ineffectiveness and the waste of money that is Super Bowl advertising this year. More than I've, I've seen them in the past, but this year it just seemed like there were many. So I'm not sure what that's been all about. Maybe maybe we're going to see, I don't know, it's probably going to be a while before we see a shift in uh, in tactics from the big dogs who have the money to spend on that kind of stuff. But uh, who knows, maybe if, if it truly is a waste of money and nobody's seeing any real returns on their investment, then uh, maybe the maybe this is... This is it. Maybe the spectacle that is Super Bowl advertising will change in the near future. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm not, I'm not holding my breath. Now I am. Hold on. Hold it. <gasps> <laughs> and begin. Okay. So should we get to it? Yeah. So first of all, we're going to extend a, a talker that, that we've covered at least in a couple of podcasts recently, if not more than a couple. And that's the, and we need to stop calling it the remarketing, retargeting discussion, but that's what everybody seems to be calling it. Um, And once again, I've forgotten the difference. One is what Google calls it, and the other is just the generic term for it. But again, if you're new to the podcast and haven't heard this discussion, you know that remarketing or retargeting is when you um, plant cookies on websites or part of search engine marketing. And when somebody either goes to a website or searches for something and, and sees your ad, they are then chased around the internet with ads um, based on that. So uh, we were joking last time, I think it was last time, about our own search engine marketing, pay-per-click advertising for the Joe Public Retreat. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you went to, if you either searched for awesome retreats in February <laughs> and the Joe Public ad came up, or you went to the Joe Public Retreat website, uh, either way, you might have been chased later by an ad. So you might have been like, you might have gone on the internet, you know, later that day, went to New York Times website or went to whatever website you were happened to go to, and up popped an ad for Joe Public Retreat. Okay, so that's what it is. 
And, you know, we've spent time talking about whether it's smart to do, whether it's um, how you have to be sensitive to how many times that you follow people around because it can get annoying. Uh, it's a little creepy, that kind of thing. What we didn't touch on this time that we have in the past is the legal issues. And I think actually what brought this up, I should back up, we did touch on it because there was a story about it, about something happening in Canada. Right. Uh, and Canada has stricter laws, apparently. Uh, that's what actually initiated the conversation a few podcasts ago. So what this is leading to is uh, a good friend of ours, friend of the show, Ben Dillon, uh, I'd like to think he actually prompted this question because he listens to the podcast, but I'm going to assume that's not the case. From Geonetric, I've known Ben for years and years, really good guy. He posted the question uh, r- related to retargeting about uh, concerns with HIPAA. Now, first, an aside on the Shushmid marketing listserv. Uh, we were joking about this before. Uh, I would say the majority of times people post to that, it is really silly and valuable questions. <laughs> so Adam's Adam's example was how many how many pens should I order? <laughs> and mine was where can you find, you know, really good quality teddy bears to order for our pediatric unit? It's that kind of question that seems to dominate. Just completely ticky tacky or or ridiculously like you know, could somebody tell me their philosophy on marketing hospitals? Right? This is right. like right. idiotically broad or whatever. Mm-hmm. But occasionally, uh, there is a topic that pulls out some of the smartest thinkers in the industry, and you really get some great insight. And that's what happened here. So I don't think we can post this content to our website. It's probably protected by Shushmid. Uh, if you're not already following the Shushmid uh, listserv, I would strongly recommend it, even if it's just for this topic. It doesn't cost you anything unless, I guess you have to be a member of Shushmid. That's probably part of it, right? Um, so I don't know how much we can give away here, but what I can, I can give you a synopsis of what was covered. Uh, there's a lot of uh, input from Kathy Luton. There's input from Charles Falls, who really knows his stuff. Uh, there's input from David Marlowe who knows his stuff. So really, really, like I said, bright people weighing in on this. And overall, I think what the takeaway is, is first of all, there are kind of two sides to this question. The first is the Google side. The second is the HIPAA side. And they're not the same questions or answers. Mm -hmm. Google has restrictions on retargeting stated restrictions that when you read them might lead you to believe that you cannot retarget. You cannot use retargeting for health services. Um, at least if you read some of them in a certain way, I'm trying to find somebody actually posted the actual language from Google, which I assume would be fair to read. Mm-hmm. Uh, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? I had it. I had it. I had it. I had it. I had it, I had it. Bear with me. Okay. So um, it says, these sites or apps would not be allowed to create remark- remarketing lists. Uh, sites or apps promoting awareness for diseases. Okay. Sites or apps that market to a specific health-related group, such as those with incontinence or other conditions. So you could take that as diabetes, for example. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you as a hospital had retargeting tied to the diabetes section of your website. So if somebody goes to the diabetes section of your website, 
whatever that may be. It could be kind of a uh, education section, could be your services right on chronology, and then you chase them with retargeted ads online. The way you read that is you're in, um, you're not compliant with Google. Now, there are other ways to read this, and there's more to it. So it's not, unfortunately, that clear. They go on later to say, um, you know, they, they qualify some of this. Uh, and the other side of this is, first of all, Google rarely, if ever, cracks down on this, A. And B, if they did, they would basically restrict you from that type of advertising. So the risk in doing it from a Google perspective is really, really low. Mm-hmm. But that's why you also have to think about it from a HIPAA perspective. And it's also, unfortunately, 100% gray. You've got people weighing in saying, look, uh, HIPAA is really concerned with um, private patient information mm-hmm. and and how that's handled and how that's distributed and how that's responded to. Uh, and for years and years and years, HIPAA has been around since the mid-90s. People have misunderstood. They've had knee-jerk reaction. They've been way too conservative for fear of HIPAA uh, when they didn't really need to be. And, you know, is it really a HIPAA violation if somebody comes to your diabetes website, you don't know who they are, you don't have their information, and you retarget them? It's retargeted based on a cookie that's applied um, – to the browser, it is not based on who they are as a person. Uh, so that's not a HIPAA violation. Other people weigh in and say, well, keep in mind that, you know, people don't need to be patients for their information to be protected. Mm-hmm. Um, so is it gray? Uh, and it, it's really an interesting topic that, that nobody seems to have <laughs> an absolute answer to, other yeah. than everybody's doing it. And I think I think to to what you just said too about you know not knowing who they are you know in today in in to, to today's by today's definition you know what what defines knowing who somebody is does it do you have to like do you have to know their name do you right. have to know where they live do you have to know their email does that define knowing who somebody is or is having an IP address a general sense of what city they came from. Um, you know, and knowing a couple of their interests, is that enough to define knowing who somebody is? Because if it is, then, you know, that's all information that you get uh, when, when you are, when you're, when you're hosting anything online, because that, you know, your, your server files. Yeah, that's that. not so, who, you can't. No, you, no, but I mean, but I mean that I think that's where a lot of the, the questioning comes in. It's like, well, what defines knowing who somebody is today? Um, you have to know do their they name have to be, do as they an have individual. To be, that's what I would say. Uh, no. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if that's if that's too too well narrow, to be fair today to, to to what you're saying. Um, you know, this is where we again we get back into the bigger question of NSA and all that. Uh, most experts will tell you that collect enough information about somebody without their name, and you can match that with public records right, and right. determine who they are. So you may not, from Google Analytics, be able to determine who a person is. But the other information that Google's capturing, you know, somebody knew what they were doing, including Google, by the way, could match that with, you know, public records and be right. pretty darn sure that they know that this is Chris Bevelo who just came right. to the site. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's, so that's, that's, that's fair. That's where it gets it gets shady. It gets weird. It gets tricky. The definition. Right. There's there are no clear definitions any, anymore to some of this stuff. You know, they they may have been you know 20 years ago, but today it's a little more gray. 
Yeah. Yeah, and the and the the key here is you know the example that we've used before is um, thinking about this from a search standpoint, retargeting. You know, HIPAA restricts you from or it, it forces you to keep things private. And one way this shows up is direct mail, right? You can't take your patient file of all your diabetic patients. Send them a postcard that says, "Hey, you have diabetes. You should really be on the lookout for heart disease." Here's a you know online health risk assessment, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, unless it's protected, meaning in an envelope, because right. a, a a child or a spouse, and of course, I'm using diabetes, which probably typically wouldn't be hidden. Right. But you know, an example on a listserv is AIDS. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't want to be sending an AIDS patient. A postcard that says, you know, as follow up to your AIDS care, blah, right, blah, right. blah, or whatever sensitive. I don't mean to pick on AIDS. It could be anything, but that was an example in the listserv. Mm-hmm. So then you think about that from a, a retargeting standpoint, and that's where the concern is, is that let's say that somebody who thinks they have AIDS or uh, erectile dysfunction or is pregnant, mm-hmm. you know, we talked about that with Target, right? Uh, last year where they were mailing people things based on their their shopping right, pattern, right? right. I remember that. Um, but I think there is a distinction, and I'm no lawyer, but if if you were to buy a public list and you were to send a postcard to all men age 60 plus saying, do you have erectile dysfunction? That is not a HIPAA violation. If you were to take your patients and send them a postcard that said anything related to, to, to their care, to, to who they are, and, it, and it's visible to other people, that's a HIPAA violation. Mm-hmm. So that's the distinction. So then you apply it to retargeting. Is it, you know, like some people said, hey, somebody going in to look at erectile dysfunction information or website and then getting retargeted for a seminar on that, that's not a HIPAA violation because they're not patients. Right. Um, but then other people said, well, it's still, you know, that pops up on the laptop and the wife sees it, you've just... You know, there's a privacy issue there. And also, nobody asked this, but what if it happened to be a patient, like accidentally? Um, Then did you accidentally fall into a HIPAA violation, even though you didn't initiate it? That's where it gets gray, and nobody seems to have an answer, again, other than everybody's doing this. And I've talked to a number of people in the industry, uh, and nobody seems to be really be withholding their retargeting uh, efforts because of this Right. article about Canada or the conversation that I just uh, just had on the listserv. Yeah. So, interesting si- stuff. Side note, interesting article too this week. Uh, ran across it on Dig. Chris, I don't know if you saw this one. Do you see the one on that office, from Office Max when they a list that they had purchased for their yes. mail? So they had what the office, hell? I know, Office Max, whoever they purchased the mailing list from, that source had, for some reason... Clearly, somebody on their staff had captured data in the wrong field in the data in their database, or intentionally put it there because they wanted to be a, an a hole. <laughs> but um, so let's say uh, address line two for a particular recipient somehow somehow this place that was capturing the data knew that this person, this this couple, this this man, this had had his daughter had died in a car crash, um, and they deemed that important enough to include in his record on their file. And they had entered it probably like in the, they put it in the wrong spot. Clearly they probably put it in like the entry field for address line two or something because the guy received direct mail from office max. That was this, that said daughter died in car crash 
within the address block. Honestly. Yeah, it was like Chris Bevelo. Chris Bevelo, daughter died in you know car crash. One two three Elm Street. Oh my god! Anytown, USA. Yeah, they had a picture of it. Unless it's fake, by the way, which we should always, almost every time right. one of these stories hits, always throw that out there now as a caveat because it could right. be fake. Certainly yeah, could be true. fake, but um, you know, there was a picture of it. It certainly is uh, something that could happen. I mean, that's yes. certainly not outside the realm of possibility. So, you know, again, it's one of the risks you run. Of you shouldn't have to worry about that when you're buying a mailing list from a hopefully trusted resource, but. Right. And obviously, you, if you're going to buy a list of several thousand names, you're not going to go through every one to make sure somebody didn't put the wrong thing in, uh, mm-hmm. you know, address line two. Right. Yeah. Right. But anyway, it was Oops. it was an interesting story and uh, one of those eye openers to or reminders that you know there are there are risks even even offline when it comes to some of this stuff. You mm-hmm. got to be working with the right people or right. buying your list from the good from the right place. That's true. Okay. Well, once again, the takeaways from this are, A, you really need to understand what's going on here, even if it's not clear. B, you should worry less about crossing Google than you should crossing HIPAA and really try to understand it. C, this really only impacts retargeting, not search engine marketing mm-hmm. pay-per-clicks. Right. There's none of these restrictions from a Google standpoint, um, nor I would say from a HIPAA standpoint, are related though it is it's interesting to me i don't know what the difference is when you think about it if you right. enter something in search you're getting a response from google that shows up in the right with a search engine ad what is the difference between that other than you expect it to show up and then later down the road you get that response it just doesn't appear in the same place that's a pretty subtle difference it is to me it's subtle it is. I mean, but one one's about being followed around and things showing yeah. up kind of outside of your control. The other is about a very controlled setting and a very controlled um, yeah, right. you know, set fair. of uh, of what's being displayed. So, all so right. I, I, but not it's not to discredit, you know, what you said about it being No, it discredits still, it. That's good. It, it should. It should discredit. <laughs> I think you're right. No, it is different. It is different. I mean, I think technically it's not different. That's what I'm getting at. It's really when you think about what's really happening, it's really not that different other than it's, you know, like you said, it's showing up in a controlled format as opposed to somewhere else. But but the but the impact and the expectation of privacy for one, that definitely is different. So if you uh you know, if you can have access to the to Shishman List Serve, we encourage you to check it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Next, we have, uh, I think, something I posted from Marketing Profs. Mm-hmm. You did. Which, unfortunately, I think, when I first posted it and sent it around, was not protected. But then when I tried to call it up today, I had to go through their, I don't think it's a paywall, but I had to sign in to get it. Something comes up. When you, go, when you visit the link, something pops up and dominates the whole screen, but you have the option to close it, and then mm-hmm. the article okay. comes back. Okay. So that might have been what you're running into. Yeah, and I have, I have signed into Marketing Profs. I do like their content. It's really good. This is something posted on January 20th called 2014 Content Marketing Trends and Tactics. And it's kind of an infographic, not really. It's a post, but um, this is, first we should say what it's based on, a, a recent report from Curata. Do we need to look up who Curata is? Okay, yeah. well, I'm not going to look up who Curata is, but... As with everything, when we're talking about statistics based on any kind of survey, grain of salt. Yeah. No. Well, they, I mean, clearly, it's, it's 
they're it looks like they're they're a company or agency of some sort that um has a tool that helps you cu- share curated content um okay exactly what that means i don't know but certainly certainly this you know an article of this nature would benefit would benefit them so take that with a grain yes mm-hmm. huge yeah exactly so when you've got a survey from a company that benefits from the thing they're surveying on you know you got to be careful with it um with that said if we can trust what this is you know that the results aren't skewed in some way uh, there are some things that jumped out at me. First of all, the, the lead is uh, most marketers, 71% in the survey, plan to increase their content marketing budgets in 2014. Um, a quarter keep them the same, and only 4% plan to decrease. Uh, the report was based on data from a survey of 502 marketers, so that's quite a bit, in the fall of 2013, uh, half of which were B2B marketing, 12% B2C, and... The rest don't show up. Oh, 28% on both. Okay. Um, But the thing that jumped out to me, which is something I immediately sent to one of our clients, uh, and I'll explain why in a second, was that it said impact of content marketing. These were some results. Respondency content marketing is being most effective in the upper part of the customer acquisition funnel, especially for awareness building and customer engagement. However, its impact on the lower part of the funnel is also quite significant, with nearly two-thirds of marketers indicating they've seen an increase in lead quality and quantity due to content marketing. And the reason I like that, of course, because it fits with our mindset, so once again, myopic, (laughs) but that's okay, Mm -hmm. um, is that whenever we're working with people on content marketing, I think it's happened every time. Let's just be honest. <laughs> every time we've worked with somebody on a content marketing program, campaign effort, somewhere along the line, I call it the volume red alert. And you can kind of like imagine like a submarine, like you were like, red alert, we need our volume. Like you can just imagine like the red lights going off and everybody scrambling around, you know. And it's and it what it is is, you know, because content marketing, first of all, if you're doing it the right way, takes a little bit of time to get off the ground, like any big initiative. So right. let's say you, you're talking like a four to six month window, just like you might be for a huge marketing campaign. It's the same kind of thing. Well, within that time, it's inevitable that there's going to be concern about volumes, almost inevitable, mm-hmm. almost every time, right? And so that probably happens two to three times a year, right? It happens maybe quarterly numbers are in or you know, fiscal year planning's either coming up or whatever the case is. So the odds that people start looking at those, you know, those figures landing in the development stage of a content marketing program are pretty high. Mm-hmm. But the result of it is people are like, okay, well, now I got to raise volume. So we really should de-emphasize content marketing and, and go back to, you know, I just, I'll never forget the CEO is like, we got to get out there and build our business. And the, the inference there is that, okay, that means we have to go back to the same old shit we've been doing, which is promotional mass advertising, uh, which of course drives me to swear, obviously, <laughs> because that's not building your business. All that's doing is wasting your money. A, and B, the assumption is content marketing is not building your business, Mm -hmm. which it is. That's what it's for. It just also happens to have the benefit of connecting and building relationships with people who don't need your business today. 
So you're investing in that, building that assembly line of relationships for the people who need you down the road, as opposed to just targeting the people with a huge amount of money who need your business today and ignoring the 99% who don't. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sorry. And in many cases, you're creating something that has a much longer shelf life than a billboard. Yeah. And it's going to give you much longer, you know, much more value, much more bang for your buck in the long run, especially. Yes. If not in the short run. Yes. So anyway, that's that's why I love that stat because, you know, we advocate for content marketing not because it's fluffy, not because it's new, not because it's cool, because it works. It's more effective and not just in building your brand, but in driving your business goals. That's Mm -hmm. what marketing is supposed to do. But for some reason, I think because it's new, because people are fearful of it, because it doesn't, you know, they don't get to beat their chest and do all the things they've always done. And um, it's not intuitive. You know, of course, all I have to do is tell people that we're awesome and they'll they'll flock in, right? Um, They think that it doesn't help their business, which is just couldn't be worse couldn't be more wrong. Uh, so when I see a statistic like that, uh, uh, it makes me feel warm and fuzzy. <laughs> and we want to share it. Shout for the mountaintops. Content marketing will help drive in leads, will help build your volumes, will help achieve your business goals better, more effectively than <laughs> chest pounding mass advertising. There. Exactly that. I have that Daft what? Punk song going through my head now. Which one? Work it. Makes us do it. <laughs> Whatever that is. I was like, get lucky? <laughs> better, better, faster, stronger. Oh, that's a good one, too. Better, faster, to stronger. Lucky. That's not Daft Punk. Uh, yeah, it is. I think it is. That's Daft No, Punk. I'm thinking of a different song, then. That's the, it's, yeah, it's a very robotic voice No, this song. is like a, kind of like a hip-hop rock song. It's kind of what that one is. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. We're talking about different songs. I'm, I guarantee it. I could, I'd sing it for you, but it's um, it wouldn't be pretty. That's that make you stronger. <clears throat> it's like total hip hop. No, that's different. Yeah, that's different. Yeah, thank you. That, I'm glad that you recognized. Adam picked up my, on that. My iteration. <laughs> that is like it's a famous band. I'm not gonna say Black Eyed Peas, but it's something like that. That what doesn't kill you makes you stronger is oh. the line. Yeah, that's different. I think that's Kelly Little Clarkson. Little Wayne or something. Bow, wow, wow. One of those guys. <laughs> yippee, yippee, All right. What yippee. else from this? Is there anything else from this that you guys saw that was No, that was a good one. Helpful? I mean, a yeah, lot of- well, take a look at the article. I mean, there's a lot of gra- a lot of visual representations of the figures in there, so it's easy to kind of peruse and, and, and pull out some meaningful uh, numbers. So give it a look-see. We'll have a link in the show notes. Yeah. There's there's also something else that's that's interesting that supports one of our contentions of what makes content marketing strong, and that's proprietary content. So they ask people, what is your current slash desired content? Oh, I'm sorry. There's two different answers. What is your current or desired mix mm-hmm. for type of content between created, curated, and syndicated? The current is 63% of people use created, 24% use curated, and 12% use syndicated, which is good. That's a good balance. We, we, it doesn't mean you can't use curated or syndicated. Absolutely not. You should take advantage of those. But the majority of your voice should be your own if you're, if you're building content marketing, leveraging it the right way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what's interesting is the desired level for created is lower. So 63.4% of the people say that their content is 
or 63.4% of their content is created, but they would like it to be 60%. They'd like it to be lower. Because they don't want to have to do it. Well, yeah, that's, maybe. It's still a pretty good balance. So it depends on, it yes, depends it on what you add to. You know, if curated content is just, you know, you repurp- repur- repurposing stuff, um, you know, if, if, if you do it in the right ways, you can still add your voice to it. So, you know, I, I think that that, that's not a bad balance. 60, 60, 40 is certainly is not a bad balance. Yeah, I agree. Right. Yeah. So great, great little piece of data. Mm-hmm. We could curate this. <laughs> I think we just did. Yeah. I think we just did. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, anything else on that one? No, but so. it's a, actually, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, naturally leads into um, the one other thing that we could share quick if we've got, yeah, we've go got ahead. a few minutes still, but that's a uh, interesting infographic shared by Litmus, which is a um, online, it's an online tool slash service for uh, testing and tracking emails. That means, uh, you know, basically getting previews to make sure that they look right in different browsers and then getting some analytics and uh, making sure that you're not going to get flammed, flammed, spammed for, uh, <laughs> or spammed, excuse me, flagged for spam <laughs> filtering. There we go. Got it. Tongue twister. Um, because you, if you if you set up your emails wrong, send them wrong, um, have them coming from uh, uh, email addresses that are associated with funky domains, um, you can get flagged as spam for you know doing a lot of things wrong. So if you're if you're into if you're doing e marketing, email marketing, um, certainly is important that you're running these tests on your <clears throat> on your on your messages. Um, something we do we use Campaign Monitor, uh, which is a great service and and it does a lot of that testing um, as well. So. Mm-hmm. But this is from Litmus, uh, just showing interesting statistics around email client market share. Um, you know the, the trends that they're seeing uh, at the end of 2013, and they um, so it's it's a, it's a lengthy infographic, a lot of good stats on there. Um, some stuff might surprise you, but a lot um, lines up with what we've been seeing with our own e-marketing efforts. Um, and specifically, taking a look at some of the top email clients that are out there right now, uh, just to see how people are consuming email. Um, I th- I think in a recent show we might have talked a little bit about. Um, maybe we didn't. Maybe we had, had had it as a as a potential article. To you talk dreamed about. it. You just. Uh, it. But it was t- just <laughs> talking about how mobile is dominating email uh, for email consumption. And I know, I know, for me personally, it is. I used to have desktop software running that would check a whole bunch of different accounts basically throughout the day. Um, very much a distraction and very much just a waste of time to mm-hmm. be keeping track of it. And I've I've gone from having that running to not having that running having like a Gmail tab open for, you know, work stuff so that I can check that period you know, throughout the day as needed. Um, but all of my other email consumption I do on either my phone or iPad when I have time, um, I just pop it open, go through the stuff, get rid of what's not important, which is 99% of it. And, you know, take a look at the other stuff or flag it to take a look at in the near future. Um, so taking a look at top email clients, the iPhone is coming in at number one, uh, which is shot way up over the last year or two. Um, and that's at 26% of all email that's being consumed right now in terms of uh, uh, e-mark, email marketing reporting analytics, that is. Mm. Um, seeing 26% market share uh, on the iPhone uh, specifically. Uh, iPad comes in at 12%. And in between, we've got uh, second place is Outlook. Uh, Android came in at 3 uh, Then iPad uh, at 4 Apple Mail at 5 Gmail, Outlook Mail, Yahoo. Um, take a look at the infographic. You can see it. Um, what, Adam, why did you say that it had shot way up? Where are you seeing that? 
Uh, I'm I'm actually saying that based on well for them it's not over the last year it's not it hasn't necessarily shot way up it's kind of stayed um, mm-hmm. at that number one over the last year because right. this this their article covers um, 2013 I'm really referring to in that case you know when we were talking about our own analytics um, and our reporting on our email marketing oh sure um, iOS over the, over like the last few years has gone from you know, you know, being being new and people just kind of getting into mobile to being to just dominating. It's it's number one um, by far for us as well. Uh, so it's just it has shot up over the, over the last few years to be number one because I mean it just came, which is not surprising. I mean now that now that we've got these mobile devices that are you know easy to consume email on um, and kind of take some of the tediousness out of it, um, it's logical. You know, it does it makes sense that that's what people are going to do. So just to clarify, so when it says Apple iPhone, does that mean the Apple Mail client on the Apple iPhone? Or does it not matter which? Yeah, yeah, that would be the Mail client on the iPhone. Okay. Um, I don't know. I mean, there are certainly other uh, Mail clients for the iPhone. There's, you know, Gmail has its own client. Um, there are other apps. Like I use an app called Ma- just, uh, Mailbox, I believe it's what it's called. Let me bring it up to make sure that's right. Yeah, Mailbox. It- um, I don't know if that reports back as just I- as iPhone. Um, that's a good question, actually. I will say that um, yeah, interesting. I'm looking through this to see where the flaw is because it that result is so stunning to me that I don't even believe it. Which result? That iPhone is bigger than Outlook, and the oh, reason sure. I say it, it that is on ours is, too. No, the reason I say that is because Outlook is the dominant, dominant desktop mail in corporations. I think. And so when you think about a company like 3M and all the friggin' emails that go around there and get opened at work, um, it's it's shocking that it's nearly twice as many get opened on an, on iPhones. I mean, obviously that shows you the um, – there's a word. It starts with the I, and I can't think of it. Well, and this is really – remember, this is really isn't around email in general. This is around email marketing. Um, so, you know, you've got to take that into account. Oh, you know, this, this okay. Is, well, so helps. this is, yeah. So, so this I knew is, there was some, there had to be something. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, this so is, I'm like, this holy is, cow. This is campaigns is from, you know, healthcare organizations, Coke, Pepsi, anybody who's, you know, selling something for the most part. Um, so yeah, definitely rules out, you know, typical corporate communications. Um, none of that's factored into here. If this were an email usage report, you know, in general, yeah, I'm, I'm going to guess we would see, okay. you know, corporate platforms. Thank being you. A, being Sorry, up at the, the top. Although, I, although you know, these mobile devices have certainly infil, infiltrated corporate environments to a pretty great extent. So, I wouldn't be surprised to see um, iPhone and Android devices uh, creeping up. You know, in the middle there, at least, uh, right. you know, tagging along behind the Outlooks and the well, Gmail. probably Outlook. Yeah. <clears throat> um, but then, yeah. yeah, there's a number of other interesting statistics after that. Um, kind of talks about the decline of desktop and also the, um, you know, the desktop platforms that are increasing over time. Mm-hmm. Desktops have actually stayed kind of stable over the last year, so that's uh, interesting. Even though mobile is growing, um, talks about webmail, so that'd be like Gmail interface, Yahoo Mail interface, you know, any any type of uh, online or browser based mail software, uh, you know, where those are coming in. Um, one of the interesting ones over the last uh, last year, you know, Gmail kind of added this weird. Not a weird is the right word, but added this kind of this uh, tabbed interface to their to their Gmail interface online, where you have like promotions in one, social media in this other bucket, right. and then um, like yeah. primary or something. And and Gmail or Google 
takes it upon themselves to filter stuff into those buckets for you. And you can't, um, I believe you have very little control over that. Um, I think you can, maybe you can recategorize that stuff, but, um, there's, that was, so that was in October of last year. Um, an interesting statistic around that is that, so people were really worried that since your default view, when you go into Gmail is that primary bucket and all of this email marketing gets dumped into the promotions bucket. So you don't see it unless you click on that promotions tab and go over there and look at that. If you're in the Gmail online, if you're in the Gmail interface, yeah. If you're using IMAP or something and you're using software for Gmail, then everything still gets dumped into one big bucket. Um, but what's interesting about this is people really feared that this was going to lead to a huge decline in, um, uh, or, or was going to be a detriment to their email marketing efforts. Uh, but the statistic is interesting. It says uh, Gmail opens dropped uh, to the number nine uh, spot. Opens have declined by 27% since the introduction of tabs in May. However, Which it appears. Bad. Yeah, and then it's, but then they follow up with that and they say, however, it appears that clicks have been unaffected, unsubscribes are unchanged, and engagement levels are actually up. Hmm. So, you know, I think that that's an interesting, interesting statistic to know that's that this, this, makes this, no sense. Sh- that this shift has perhaps actually helped qualify uh, leads a little bit in terms of people who are clicking and, and getting through and doing something as a result of your, your efforts. So that's an interesting stat. That, that is, that is, I wonder what that, I think maybe what that could be, if I'm going to guess totally, if you've got all this stuff dumped into one bucket. You have a lot of inadvertent opens. You have people opening who who want nothing to do with the email, but right. they open it for whatever reason and nothing happens with it. When you sort it over to the side, that all goes away. You still have people who want the emails engaging at the same level as they did before. Mm-hmm. So you've basically, potentially, I'm just making this up, but you've called out a quarter of the opens because those were just inadvertent. And now if somebody's opening it, they have to intend to because they have to go to the other tab and literally look at it. So that could be it. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to say. Which is fine, right? That doesn't impact the end result. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, the takeaway from this to me is, again, as if we don't hype on this enough, if you're using email marketing, you really, really need to make sure that you're using responsive web design. And you because can. You're going mean, to be it's, pulling people back it, to a mobile environment, right? I the majority of let's see, iPhone. Well, Outlook isn't. Android, iPad. So, three of the top four. That's that's fifty two percent of the of these opens are mobile. Right. That's just at the top four. I mean, if you added them all up, it'd be more than fifty two percent. Well, the other thing to consider too, it, it, this should be shaping the way that you structure your 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 emails that go out. Um, you know, the the tendency over the last few years has been to still focus on that desktop approach to you know having like a six hundred to seven hundred pixel wide message um, that yeah looks fine on desktop or webmail um, you know browsers uh, browser email, uh, but once you open that up on a mobile phone, it looks like crap. So email is still a tricky beast because. You still have to use old school tactics for design um, for the HTML that goes into that. Um, but there are frameworks to use that uh, actually help you to go, to go responsive to a certain extent with your email uh, marketing, the actual emails themselves. Uh, and there's also just, you know, this should force you to, to try to simplify your messaging and be even more concise and more targeted right. um, and just kind of try to cut out some of the fluff that maybe has gone into it in the past because you've got an audience that has, um, you know, a very small screen real estate and you've got to get that message out uh, 
quickly. You didn't, you know, it, I can't, they don't, they're not going to have, they don't have a big screen to digest anymore. They've got a little space and your message has to fit into there and capture their attention. So, mm-hmm. and to your point, Chris, when they actually click on something, I hope you're, you're taking them back to a website that uh, is also a good mobile experience, not a desktop experience for their, for Which, their mobile phone. Right. As much as we hype on, we don't do because we haven't fixed it, but we are <laughs> coming soon. <laughs> All right. Uh, We should wrap up. We went, I don't know how long we went, but uh, hopefully it's still recording. I've got 1,277 somethings. 42 (laughs) minutes, 43 minutes. Wow. We were were a few minutes in before we actually started, so we're probably in the upper 30s at this point. Good. Good. I'd rather be in the upper 30s than the low 40s any day. (laughs) (laughs) Too late for me. Either way. All right. Well, this is good because we went over with a ton of great healthcare marketing discussion. So next week, we don't have to touch healthcare at all. We can just go, well, we might with Super Bowl ads. You never know. Yeah, you never know. Never know. So remember, uh, we'll post this, but if you listen to this podcast, go to the LinkedIn Arrogant Healthcare Marketing Bastards group and share with us your favorite or least favorite or whatever ad you want to comment on and we'll... Talk about those for sure. We'll cover whatever you want us to. Yeah. Let yeah. us know. And it's if you like the show, show, don't forget to you know rate it or review it on iTunes. That helps us as well. Yes. More, we should ask that every time. The more popular it is there, the you know the more likely it is to end up in front of other people who might enjoy it. So that's right. That's all we ask of you. Not so like us. us. <laughs> Our faithful listeners. All right. So, for the Arrogant Healthcare Marketing Bastards, this is Chris Bevelo, Jackie Olson, and Adam Meyer. What the hell was that? What? Jackie Olson. <laughs> that was hilarious. Oh, I didn't even notice. I'll have to. Yeah, it was kind of funny. Well, you'll, you'll hear it. Jackie Olson. <laughs> anyway, thanks for joining us. Enjoy the Super Bowl. Talk to you next time. Bye. <laughs>